This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another installment of the show. I appreciate it. You've tuned into a conversation featuring the guitar maestro, George Lynch from KXM, Lynch Mob, and of course, the big one, Dokken. The chat has been available on the Scars and Guitars podcast for some time now, since late 2019, but I have repurposed it for YouTube. Now, throughout this conversation, George and I discuss heaps of aspects from throughout his career. We're talking Dokken, Lynch Mob, his solo material, how he avoided gang violence during the LA riots in 1992. He's also hinted throughout the chat that he's got many the dirt style revelations to rival Motley Crue, although I hope you can understand I decline to press him for more further information on that topic. I'm sure he'll release a book or something will come out that details Dokken's exploits in that regard. The conversation is very notable for a reason which did not register at all at the time. George, it's fair to say, is a bit of a political activist. He's not afraid to make his opinion well known and more power to him for that. I may not agree with what he has to say, but that's not the bloody point, is it? We should be able to engage in a dialogue or a conversation with people whose comments don't align with our own. He clearly does not like Donald Trump. And at the time, he was president of the United States. The conversation was picked up by Blabbermouth and for a number of years, I think there was a recent article posted there in which his comments from this chat were referenced on Blabbermouth and on many other sites, by the way. It's probably easier for me to say the sites that didn't pick up this chat. But as you can see, if you tuned in via YouTube, there's a bit of a sample of what they posted. There is many more, but go and search it if you're interested. Yeah, but otherwise, forget about the politics. This is a deep dive into George, George on George, if you like. I'm not aware of another conversation out there like this one. It's similar to the one that I had with Ralph Santola from Death, Deicide and Obituary. So if you're a fan, I hope you enjoy. So here he is, the maestro, George Lynch. Andrew, George, you're both there? Indeed. Yes, thank you. Great, you guys go ahead. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, hi. Hey, George. Yeah, it is. It's a sprightly 4.30, uh, 4.41 in, in the a.m. in the morning. But I tell you what, mate, I was not going to miss my opportunity to talk to the great George Lynch. So I want to thank you for making the time, actually. Oh, well, the great, yeah, the great George Lynch isn't here right now, but you get to talk to, to the, the lesser George Lynch. The lesser George Lynch. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> I'll take um, it. Yeah, well, we could have done it, you know, in hindsight. we could I could have done it in the evening, which would have been 4.30 in the afternoon for you, but... Oh, I've got I've got young kids. You see, I've got a, a four and a six year old. So believe me, believe it or not, this is actually the best time of day for me to do it because what can sometimes happen is, is I'm out and about either taking him to school and all that sort of things at the times in North America there, which are appropriate for you guys. But of course, I'm out and about here. But also the yelling in the background. I don't know how many podcast episodes I've done where I can hear my, one of my two kids screaming about something in the background. So they are safe and sound it's asleep. A it's a feature of your podcast, yeah. It is. If you've got headphones on, sometimes you can hear it. And I just, I'm going to, sh- when they get older, you know, they're like their 18th birthday or their 21st or something, I'm going to put it on and amplify the yelling in the background just to embarrass them there. Yeah, but the thing is, it'll become such a thing that you won't be able to, then every, your podcast in the future will all have to have that. 
but they won't be screaming anymore because they won't be little kids. So you're going to have to fake it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, that'll so just that'll just be my wife yeah, swearing at me about something something else. So that's all right. That'll continue going. <laughs> right? Yeah, fake can baby screams. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it won't you know, be the same thing. It won't be the same. That's no, got to be authentic. It's got to be authentic, hasn't it? Right, right. You know. so, mate. You are. Anyways, you are very authentic. I've loved your playing for a long time. It must be said, and um, I know you, you've got this album coming out with KXM. Okay, and it's the. Uh, I I really like the first album that you guys did back in 2014. It still gets a fairly regular spinning on my, uh, if that's the right term, on my iPhone. Um, yeah. But the reason for the, our opportunity to chat now, of course, is about Circle of Dolls. So you're joined by two of the best. You got Ray on drums, Ray Luzier on drums. You got the great Doug Pinnock from King's X on vocals and on bass. And I guess you, you could all rest on your laurels, given that you're globally adored musicians and performers already. But I've got to ask first, mate, what was the inspiration behind the collaboration? Um. Uh... Well, not really a, a huge story there. Just uh, we were all uh, we all met up at Ray's house for a, a party for his kid, and uh, just started talking around the you know in the kitchen, and uh, you know turned into a turned into a reality hmm. um, because uh, I'm gonna you know kind of uh, ring my own bell here and just say that I was extremely persistent um, because you know. You know how these things usually go, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, especially in Hollywood, you know, you meet up with your contemporaries and you make big plans and maybe you had too much to drink or whoever, you know, and, and you have, you know, you mean well, but then real life happens and it's, it's, it's hard to actually put that together. And, and, I've, and I've had these conversations with people before. I had one with Tommy Lee once way back in the day where I really mm -hmm. thought we were going to put this kind of heavy funk thing together. He's really into that kind of stuff. And so was I. And Let's do it, and of course, you know, it went nowhere. It never went past the initial first phone call. Mm. But and it, there's a lot, been a lot of those in, in in my experience. So I thought, well, you know, this one is worth really pushing for. And so, um, I didn't give up, and uh, and it paid off. But um, it was it, it, it was very touch and go mm. because it was actually uh, uh, there was a lot of incremental steps that we had to take. We had, we had to get past uh, to make it happen, and uh, as you know, we get past one, and then there was another one, and then another one, and then, and then we had deadlines that, that you know we didn't meet, and then for some reason, you know, we we had scheduled things, and then up something came up, and then I thought it would fall apart. Yes, and mm -hmm. rescheduled, and finally, uh, we were able to you know get the three of us in in the room, and that room was a house that we rented up in the mountains about two hours north of Los Angeles that we retrofitted, the engineer and I retrofitted into a studio mm -hmm. and where, where we stayed. We actually you know, brought in some groceries, brought in all our equipment, and we fitted the house out to record an album. And, mm. and uh, pretty much, you know, just stayed there and, and worked. And um, with, with no pre-planning, no pre-production, no songs, no premeditated anything, just walked in and Yep. Okay, let's jam. Let's <laughs> yeah, and cool. uh, once we hit that first new note, we knew it was real. And actually, when we started playing, it was really cool. And we didn't have any idea what it was going to be like. And that was what was crazy about it. It was just like, well, what is... Actually, through all this work and anticipation, what's going to happen when we plug in and hit that first note? 
and it just kept going places and we had more ideas than we could corral. It was like chasing cats and we were just like having a blast. And it was like, this is awesome. Mm. And, um, we, and we didn't re actually Ray had something come up where he lost a couple of days. So we had to get it done quicker than we anticipated. So mm. I, we had only 10 days, I think. Oh shit. So okay. we had to yeah. write everything, record everything in 10 days. And then we had to come back. I think we had to come back for a couple of days and, and get, get another song or two songs or something, something like that. I can't remember. It's been a while, but yeah. So you, did I hear that right? You wrote and recorded everything in 10 days. Uh, yeah, on the last, well, on a Circle of Dolls was 12 days. 12, yeah, but still, my God, yeah, okay, so the, I mean, the quality of the cuts is outstanding. It just, uh, mate, some, some people would struggle to put an album of that quality together in um, five years, but uh, you know, twelve. You know, d years, not days. <laughs> what can I say? So, so did yeah. you? Did you? Well, um, did you come in with basic sketches of songs and then present them to the guys? Is no, that how no, no, no. That was that's absolutely not allowed. And Ray really plays the uh, song police uh, role very well, and he has a sixth sense about that. And I've actually tried to get away with that, where I kind of would have something sort of in my head, and and I say, well, you know, I got to, you know, I throw it out. And he goes, you know what, you, he goes, that's premeditated. You already had that. Nope. And mm -hmm. he would change the beat up and he would completely change the tempo. And he would, he just allowed that. And, um, and Doug also is the same way. I tried to do something like that after the fact. And, and, uh, I, I threw a little part out and he goes, you know what? No, we weren't all in the room. We didn't conceive of it together. So it's not KXM. Mm -hmm. As cool as it is, can't do that. Yes. Okay. Gosh. So yeah. start doing that, the slippery slope and then we're just that's what defines us and then we're you know we have to stay true to what it is that we're trying to do here and that's just be you know spontaneously conceived ideas that we flesh out all in a limited amount of time hmm. together and uh and for for better or worse like a marriage <laughs> and uh, get what you get and what what and does there are some misgivings you know we listen to the yeah. records and we're kind of like oh didn't quite nail it here and put i nail it there and this could have been better that could have been better but that's what you get, you know, and we got to live with that. So, mm. it's life. Yeah, it is indeed, yeah. And what, what the band name itself, can you tell me what, is it an, an acronym for something, or what does the KXM stand for? Uh, it's, just, it's, it's so dumb. It's just the, the, the initials of our respective bands. It's stupid. I mean, i got to say that I, uh, <laughs> the hardest thing about being in a band is coming up with names for songs and band names and record yeah. titles. I, I honestly... Everything else is easier. Yeah. Playing instruments easier, composing is easier, doing album recording, going on tour. But coming up with names is to me like impossible. So I've got all these projects that are just acronyms and initials and dumbass names, and I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> That's uh, all right. But it's KXM is Corn, King's X, and M for Mob. So what? I thought so. I was, was going to say it had to be M for Mob. Yeah, there you go. And hey, the other. Uh, uh, no, oh, that's that's okay. I mean, God, you know, names are just named at the end of the day. It's the music that counts. And and on this new album, let me tell you, it sounds to me a lot more intense and a bit rawer than the other. So do do you agree with that, or have I just not been listening to it long enough yet? Um, I would say I don't know. I mean, I I mean they're all a little different, but mm. you know, I I just um, I think we're always trying to get to a place where. You know, it's it's just more uh, immediate. You know, like you're hearing 
what we're hearing in the room, and it's mm. real. And I, I don't know how, so, so how you capture it, you know? So, you know, a lot of it's technical. Um, you know, we recorded in a real studio, you know, so the steakhouse studio is very large studio. It's a, a beautiful um, Neve board that was out of the EMI studios in London, which a lot of famous records have been recorded yeah, on. Awesome. Yep. It's, it's not a mixing room. It's essentially a tracking room, but um, you know, big room that sounds wonderful. And so that helps. Uh, we weren't going to tape, but, you know, who can really go to tape these days anymore? Mm-hmm. But I wish we... Yep. So we try to get as, cl- as close to emulating a tape recording in a big room um, as we can. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sweet. Um, touring so in... We, we, we would record the Pro Tools, and then we'd, uh, we'd slam the drums and sometimes mm-hmm. other instruments back to, t- to tape and then back into Pro Tools. Is that right? That tape separately. There yeah. you go. Okay. God, I surprised you found the time to do that, given that you know you got the ten to twelve days to record things. But um... yeah, it was the, that was part of our you know our whole day. These are yeah, they're twelve hour days, but mm. you know the last hour or two of every day was we got to cut it off because we have to do this because it's very important. So you know, the engineer would say, "Oh, it would be funny because it would be the end of it would be the end of these days," and literally at the beginning of the day, we all kind of just flowed in and. You know, we're taking it easy and we're taking our time. By the end, we are, cr- we got, how much time do we got? We're all looking at the watch. Shit, we only got 43 minutes. Go. <laughs> we're trying to create a right up to literally the last two minutes. You know, we're just hammering, trying to get stuff in. And, uh, Good and then the engineer is very, um, you know, the, the wizard. He's, uh, you know, he's the, he's the time police and he just pulls the plug. That's it. We're done. Yep. Getcha. Yeah. Yeah, we're done for today for tomorrow hey what about touring in promo of uh, of the album because you guys would go i imagine you guys would go down really well on the you know those massive european festivals like varken and hellstock and that sort of stuff do you, do you get offered a lot of opportunities to do that sort of thing um we have had some offers but you know we haven't pursued any and we haven't solicited any but uh, we had some come through that were really um Wonderful offers that we had, uh, Rock on the Range. We had a Japanese festival that wanted us to. Uh, this was back when we were doing the first record. Hmm. And of course, we couldn't take advantage of those opportunities. The thing is with the band, it would have to. We'd have to have a good body of work to justify going out, you know. Um, and it's not, you know, we've had some one off offers, but the thing is, it's not a one off band because we're not a band. We're not a live band. We've never played live. Hmm. And we've never, you know, these songs are not things that we worked on. Uh, in pre-production and are in our bones. Mm-hmm. So we've done three albums now over the course of however many years. Uh, none of us remember any of these songs because we just wrote them in a moment, yeah. you know, a flash of time and then forgot them. So, <laughs> you know, honestly, we'd have to have, uh, you know, we'd have to have like a good solid two-month tour with at least two weeks of prep, you know, to go and relearn everything, figure out how we're going to play all the stuff and, and, and be tight and, and uh, out there and do it properly so it's, that's a that's a big time uh, chunk of time that we'd have to allocate and I, I just don't none of us can figure out how we would be able to manage that yeah yeah um, but we all want to you know so it's constantly on our minds mm. yeah well look i guess it's i mean god I don't know how much feedback you got from us down here, mate, but a lot of musicians... I know, You know, you're a musician's musician. I think you know that. All three of you are, really, actually. Even, especially, you know, yourself and Doug, especially. God, I, listen, I remember listening to King's X a bunch. 
back in the day. But, man, if you ever get an opportunity to come down here, mate, we'd love to watch you. There's no doubt about that. So if you ever just go to one territory... Okay, well, it's really neutral. We just got to get past that uh, constraints, you know, but yeah. I'll figure it out. Mm. Hey, just wanna, I want to um, just... Yeah, I'd like to ask you a few questions about lynch mob. Is that cool? Yes, of course. Yeah. So, look, I'm, I'm one of those people that got into lynch mob. I didn't even know you were in Dokken, to be honest with you, because I'm a child of the 90s. And Dokken are a band that I love now, but I didn't know about them at the time when I was listening to Lynch Mob. Now, that, that 1992 album, man, I've got to hand it to you, is probably one of the greatest and overlooked albums of that era, because it's in the similar vein to what Jake was doing with Badlands. Okay, just real mm-hmm. groovy, bluesy rock and roll with a hard rock edge, you know. Just, you know, that era, mate, with the so-called grunge and alternative stuff that MTV and Rolling Stone were, were favouring. But and, and that goes to the other side of it. You're one of the great survivors of that era. Now, um... I never gave a shit, to be honest with you, what was going on in the mainstream or what have you. I just gotten to music that I really wanted to get into. And do, do you find that with fans of your work in particular? They're just universal music fans who just don't care whatever else is going on. They just love your guitar playing. And on that note, do you think Lynch Mob gets fair recognition? Um, well, fair is a strange word. I mean, you know, I, what's fair? Life's not fair. Nothing's, you know, there is no such thing really. So, it just is what it is. Hmm. Um, you know, so um, there are a lot of reasons for why Lynch Mob is where it is. You know, it's not a gigantic band. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I was under the illusion for, for decades that, that your fans would always follow you and be interested and encourage you hmm. to go outside and stretch. But I found that to not be the case and that was a very hard lesson for me uh in the 90s you know mm, when i started yep. trying to do the things um uh i found a lot of resistance and and even resentment with a lot of the fans that um uh it was really uh eye-opening you know and and sort of depressing <laughs> because, yeah uh, you know fans are very conservative you know they they take their music very seriously and it's a and they associate obviously you know um the music that they grew up with, with, uh, you know, events in their life. And, and, um, so when you mess with that, you know, you're messing with a person's identity, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe for selfish reasons, just because you want to be free to go explore other, you know, genres of music or whatever it is, you know, reinvent yourself or whatever, stretch out. And, and people don't take too kindly to that. I'm not saying everybody, but there's a, it's, you know, maybe half of the fans are kind of that wire mm-hmm. wired that way. Uh, so, for instance, I did this Smoke This project, which was called Lynch Mob, but shouldn't have been because okay. the record company insisted that I call it Lynch Mob so they could sell records. But yep. it wasn't had really have anything to do with Lynch Mob. It should have been called uh, Lynch Biscuit. And we were <laughs> sort of rap medley and stuff like that with other elements. It was a very cool band and a cool record, I thought. Mm-hmm. But um, it got panned really badly, and we went out on tour, and we're, uh, I mean... We're almost to the point of getting stuff thrown at us on stage. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People had a, a certain respect for me, so they didn't bag on me too badly. But uh, the rest of the band got a lot of flack, a lot of shit. And, and yeah. So uh, we ended up halfway through that tour, having to just ended up, you know, devolving to doing docking songs and shit. And oh shit! Really? Yeah. It. yeah. It was pretty sad, and, and the band just broke up. You know, sort of demoralized. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. They're really interesting points, aren't they? Because you uh, you're a guitarist to your your own history basically mirrors a lot of modern rock and heavy metals history. Given your association with the Osborne camp, you really should have been in that band by a lot of people's estimation. Um, instead of Brad Gillis, no disrespect to Brad whatsoever when I say that point there. But I mean, you were really you know you were one of the the hot shot young gun guitarists of that time. And then of course you're in Dokken through the eighties, and then the nineties hit, and there's this big tidal wave. And 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 I think there's that that situation that a lot of artists had through the nineties, which is that you. You want to remain relevant and current, so there are trends of the time that you want to emulate that you might even really enjoy. But then again, you've also got these rusted-on fans that expect you to sound like you did when they first heard you. And I think that's that's so true for an artist. Yeah, that's so true for an artist in your position who's been around so long. And the the bloody nineties. I talk about this a lot with, um, you know, I've done over four hundred and fifty interviews at this point, and every artist like yourself made it was such a cruel era to be honest with you, because just the way that I think journalists decided to treat musicians very unfairly. And um, the internet was still in its burgeoning phases, of course, so people couldn't really... They, we had dial-up, most people had dial-up or very slow ADSL connections, meaning that we didn't have the time to sit down and really investigate whatever our favourite artists were doing, so it was still sort of a bit at the beck and call of the media. But I think I, think I speak for a lot of people, George, when I say we're just so grateful to have you around these days still, performing, playing music with KXM, and, and I think every, everything you've ever done, when you listen to it, it's, I had a chat to Marty Friedman two nights ago. It's the same thing for him, and you guys are in the same boat. Everything you've ever done has an aspect of quality to it. It's just different. You've just done different things, but you've got an aspect of quality to everything. And I think that's why people really appreciate appreciate your guitar playing. Yeah, I think you. I think you want to challenge the listener a little. Challenge yourself. Challenge the listener, and give them some some kind of little twist and surprise. You know, a little bit of the old. It has a thread of the old. It was something unexpected. I mm. think that's kind of the key. Whether it's a throwback, whether it's got some little bit of R and B influence, or some little, you know, uh, 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 let's say a progressive influence. You know, uh, like in KXM, we do, you know, we change it up with a lot of different time signatures a lot of times. You know, mm. and that's not something I'm known for and really do much of. But um, you know, things like that. So it's keep, it keeps it interesting. I mean. I get it why there's bands like ACDC and Van Halen or, or, or you know, Jews Priest, whatever bands that, are, that we all grew up with and love and are the foundation of the music that we write and care about. And, and they can't change. <laughs> I mean, you imagine, you know, ACDC coming out and doing something that was not different than ACDC. That would be crazy. But <laughs> um, that would be suicide and, and silly. But, uh, you know, it's one of the fortunate things about my lack of success uh, it's allowed me to, to be free mm-hmm. um, because I don't have this uh, huge constraint on me due to commercial success that uh, confines me to being like that. You know, I, I don't have to repeat myself. Um, yep. I could, I guess, but I, I'm just not built that way. Um, and, you know, some people aren't, some people aren't. That's just the way I'm built. I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, um, you, know, I'm a, you know, life is, is, is about change. And Indeed. when you stop changing, you're not alive anymore. So you're yep. talking about life versus death. You're talking about having, you know, sort of a dead product. To me, if you just keep beating the same formula over the head, it's just dead, you know. And and I even take that a little further in uh, talking about the compositions. And I'm, I'm trying to sound too heavy here or anything, but, um, you know, usually when we write, 
there's always this magic thing. This is with any band that you would talk to. Uh, there's this magic thing that happens in the band room or in the garage or sound check or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you come up with something and you all kind of sort of jump on board and go, oh, this is badass. That's the creative moment. That's the part. That's the thing you get so excited about was makes life worth living. It's just such a beautiful thing. And it's mysterious. And how the hell did that happen? It's, you, get, you know, and I want to uh, think about capturing that, you know, yep. and, and uh, so in, that's what well, was sort of the idea with KXM was just, just capture this, this moment when we were just coming up with stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's, what's really gratifying about KXM is people are actually getting it, you know, I'm not saying a ton of people, but you know, the people that do dig it, yeah. yeah, you know they understand what they're trying to do and appreciate it, and that's very not, that's gratifying. You know, I'm not getting speed up. Hmm. <laughs> We're trying something different. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, are you? And, you know, I'm not trying to. The other thing is, I got to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, yeah. I just the other thing is, you know, I, at my age, I and I just I'm not trying to sell anything. Sure, I want to sell more records, and I want, you know, want to make more money and all that stuff. But I'm really I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just trying to do what I think people would like, what I like. Hmm. And if they pick up, and I, I, I'm surprised sometimes they don't pick up on it. And sometimes they don't pick up on it because they don't know about it or just, you know, I'm a, I'm a small fish in a big pond or whatever. But that's all I'm doing. You know, I'm not trying to say, hey, I've got the world's greatest thing here and I'm reinventing the wheel. No, I'm just doing what I think hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people would love to hear. People hmm. like me want to hear, you know, intelligent, groove-based, passionate, angst-ridden music that comes from the heart and you know i'm still just chasing that that voice you know that 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 i call it you know so chasing the dragon that like this song that you have that's in your head your whole life and you keep trying to get it hmm. you know it's hmm. like the best band of gypsies jam in history on acid <laughs> and you're just chasing it you're like <laughs> i'm gonna capture that someday nice. you know i hear it in my head you know when i'm waking up in the morning or or I'm riding my motorcycle, or whatever, you know, or I'm out, or something. I hear it, but I, I've never been able to get it on tape, you know. Hmm. And yeah, I get you. That's the thing, you know. All these projects are just I'm chasing that one song. And I think the great, a lot of the great artists, I hear that in their music too. I think that's what they were doing as well. I definitely think Hendrix was doing that. You can hear that common yeah. thread through all his music. He was chasing that same dragon. Mm. Yeah, I know exactly. As a, I'm a musician myself, I don't know exactly what you're saying. And those moments, right? are, they're so rare, mate. You're talking about once or twice in your entire musical career that these things probably happen and you capture that flame just even for a moment before it flickers out or disappears or somewhere else. Or never. And yeah. that's fear. And that's, that's what drives you, is that fear that you'll never capture it. That you'll go to your grave and never having said what you wanted to say. Mm. Hey, I you hope... feel it's important, genuinely important, you know. Yeah, but the the other thing about you too, mate. Yeah, okay, that's just really inspiring what you've just talked about there, because that means that you're going to keep on creating music, just keep on doing it. But I hope you don't make it, mind me making a point about your age. But I don't think people realise that you're in your mid sixties. You sound like as though you're yeah, in your forties, and you look like yeah. I mean, you, but you sound like as though you're in your forties, and you look like you're in your bloody thirties. So, is there a secret, or are you just happy to be alive? Uh, good genes. Try to be healthy, work out, eat good, you know, I mean, just do all the stuff you're supposed to do. But, hmm. um, and I've been blessed with this life that's, you know, I mean, music is nourishing and it keeps you young, I think. Or hmm. I think anything that you love doing keeps you, you know, 
Yeah, uh, I, know I would say yeah. well, young, young at heart, you know. But it keeps you enthused and keeps you uh, engaged. And you know, I, I guess they say that you know you to 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 keep flexible, keep your mind flexible. You know, you have to keep challenging yourself and learning new things that are uncomfortable to learn. Hmm. And I think music does that. And the fact that in the last couple of decades, I've been able to uh, have the freedom to challenge myself by playing with guys like Doug and, and Ray and Ultraphonic Skies and, and people I normally wouldn't play with in the genre that I'm known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being a um, really not, I'm not a schooled musician, um, you know, I'm not a theory guy or anything like that. Um, it's double challenging for me to play with, let's say, especially the ultraphonics guys, like the Project Infidelica thing where you've got horns and theremins and guys that are writing charts and actually, you know, reading music. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> hmm. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't understand that language. So I'm just following along. And it's really challenging. And I think that all that kind of stuff keeps me, uh, keeps me on my toes and maybe helps keep me, um, you know, more younger at heart nothing else but yep. <clears throat> there is going to be that point where I'm going to have to you know put on the wig and wear the ascot and <laughs> <laughs> yeah but whatever I sit see. down on a chair and play the blues yeah gotcha yeah well keep, keep going yeah but it's um, what about your solo material because I, I, I do enjoy Sacred Groove uh, as well it came out about the same time I think as uh, the self-titled Lynch Mob album if I'm not mistaken because I remember them from about the same era yeah. Um do you, do you find there's a demand for you to to perform uh, your solo material still when when you're playing live when you're doing shows? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, I think the challenge for all bands, legacy bands, is to balance the demand for playing the hits, quote unquote, hmm. and doing more current stuff, and or improvisational stuff, or covers or jams or whatever, you know, getting outside your, the songs that you've been playing over and over for 35 years. <laughs> and, uh, as far as demand, um, when you're standing on stage and you play a song, people recognize everybody lights up. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of docking material, probably a third of Lynch Mob set is docking material. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, songs I wrote, I had a big hand in writing, but, um, you know, that's what lights people up. And, you know, and I, you know, we, we throw something else in there that's more current that's you know a valid great song but people just you know the energy dials back and we, we can feel it in the crowd you know it's yeah like, well. but again i don't want to be a cover band i don't want to be a doc and tribute band you know with a few lynch mob songs thrown in i so what we've done is we we do a lot of improvising and people really do respond to that actually because yeah a bit. Know, <clears throat> that's what we live for you know <laughs> we mean it so and they can sense that and and um, that's what makes it worthwhile, actually. Hmm. And I think that's what differentiates us, meaning Lynch Mob, from a lot of other bands uh, in our genre and legacy bands, is that we do go outside a lot. You know, we throw, just throw unexpected stuff out there. You know, we, you know, there's, right now we're doing, uh, we've kind of worked into doing this whole kind of 15-minute thing that's in Wicked Sensation that turns into a some nights just turns into a big Miles Davis jam improvisation. <laughs> nice. That leads into, uh, you know, uh, sliding the Family Stone, Ohio Players, funk, uh, yeah. audience participation. And the crowd loves it, you know. Hmm. Um, or throw some covers in there that we'll just, we'll be listening to on the, on the ride, drive into the, you know, wherever city we're going to. And of course, we're all listening to music, you know. 
and uh, oh, let's do this tonight. We'll get the dressing room, we'll bang it out a little bit, we'll go out and we'll throw it down, you know? Mm. Um, and that's what keeps it thrown and fresh. Mm. Do, do you find... Um, do, do you find... Okay, so just talking about Dokken then for a sec. Um, the last album I think you were on, now correct me if I'm wrong, was Shadow Life from the mid-90s, 97 or thereabouts. Um do you think you've got some unfinished business there from from the fan? I know a lot of fans feel that way. You know, they want you you guys to get back together and produce another album. But do you think you've got any unfinished business with that band? Well, I personally do. Uh, I think I'd like, I and mean, I've said this a lot, I'd like to put put that other bookend on there, you know, and hmm. and and a nice bow on it, and go out uh, with a good record, you know, um, a really quality record, you know well thought out and is of the same caliber as of, of our earlier records and not going to disappoint people. But, hmm. um, uh, we had an opportunity, uh, I think it was last year when we were working on the end machine record before we were in pre-production for that, mm-hmm. uh, before Robert Mason got on board, we were actually talking to Don about that being a docking record. Okay. And, uh, of course, of course it didn't happen, but, uh, um, you know, I think it's we've got a small window here. Well, hopefully not a small window, but we've got a window right now because all four members are are still with us, you know. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we're all uh, alive and, and functional and, and playing well. So um, it would make sense to do it sooner rather than later. I, I think the longer you wait, it becomes a diminishing uh, possibility. I think. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably, we probably don't have much time to actually make that happen, but. You know, I've let Don know uh, many, many times that I would really like to do it. So, yep. Um, is it? Is and it? Je- and Jeff would as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. What? What's? what's of will. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just a matter of will, isn't it? Really, there isn't. It? That's what I, I was. You know, with it, without being too direct, that's what I was sort of reading. That's what I was sort of seeing when I was reading interviews with Don and the media and the like. It was just a matter of just making sure, like, will, will exactly what you just said there. So, from a fan's perspective, I hope he understands. A lot of people would be really happy. People, but but as I alluded to earlier in the conversation, there's a whole cohort of fans that didn't even. I mean, I, of course, I know that you're in Dokken, but it's not how I got into you individually. I've got to say, so it's interesting that isn't it that that. You do have a, you do have a few cohorts of fans out there that are into George Lynch. Well, yeah, and you know I, I feel a little bit of pressure from that because I honestly work better uh, as a, as with uh, kind of the idea of being an underdog. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would never want to be like an Inge or a Steve Vai or an Eddie Van Halen where you've got all this you know this kind of pressure of being the king of the mountain. And everybody's trying to knock you off. I kind of like being that guy that's down in the valley, you know, with a slingshot, you know. Yeah, that's I don't inter- want to be a... That's interesting you think of yourself that way, to be honest with you, because I, I, not just me, I think just about anybody that's a musician considers you one of the, the great modern virtuosos, if you like, certainly one of the greatest modern rock and heavy metal guitarists. You know, so I appreciate that you're very humble about these things, but, you know, you, yourself, Reb Beach, um, uh, Doug Aldridge, I mean, without you guys, man, I don't think... And I've made this point about Trey from Morbid Angel too. There are a few guitarists that, if you guys weren't around, all of those guitarists that I just mentioned, including yourself, of course, mate, I don't think modern he- modern rock and heavy metal would sound the way it does. And I don't think that's too big a stretch to say that because I think your influence is enduring. I even think these guys that play Kings of Leon style music, they don't realise it, but they're influenced by somebody who was influenced by you, as well. They, especially with radio mm. stuff. 
Yeah, well, we're all, you know, that's kind of the human condition. We're all building on the shoulders of our predecessors and learning from each other and, and paying it forward and so forth, all that kind of stuff. So, hmm. you know, incrementally, we're all just, uh, you know, part of the process. Um, you know, I'm just happy to be, a, you know, in the game and, and, and a piece of the puzzle, you know, and it's wonderful uh, to have accolades and people appreciate what you do and be able to actually earn a decent living at it and consistently raise a family, raise a large family yeah. and, and, uh, and uh, do something you love mm. you know, and you're passionate about. I mean, you know, I, I think about that. I mean, you know, we all know people that have been frustrated with their lives and lead unhappy lives because they feel they have pointless lives and, um, yeah, don't have a passion, yeah. you know, and yeah, exactly. so they, they try to find a passion. It's like, how do you find a passion? <laughs> a passion <laughs> is a thing that is innate. And, 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 um, is it possible that 8 billion people could have a passion, each have individual passions and be free to just pursue those passions and the world function properly? You know, I think about those things. So it makes me feel so fortunate that I, that I have this, you know, that I've done what I've done. And, you know, I, that, it, you know, I, the, the turn, the butterfly effect comes to mind where, you know, when I think of my, when I was a very young man and I had, you know, essentially nothing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, ninth grade education, no money, you know, homeless at a couple of points in my life and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, no job prospects and no skills. And went from that to having this, um, that's a gigantic gift. You know? <laughs> I'm really, really, really lucky. And, you know, I got a lot of people to thank for it. My own pers- perseverance, of course, and is, is, you know, helped, but you know, mm. there's people along the way. And I will have to say one of those people was Don Duncan, quite honestly, which is kind of strange for me to say, but, um, <laughs> you know, in, you know, he has a way about business. That I don't agree with at all, but what's ironic is it got me helped get me to where I am and support mm. my family and get through college and, you know, very, make a very nice life for the people that I love and, uh, do the thing that I love. Mm. So I'm going to be sad for that, you know? No, indeed. And look, I want to take a 90 degree turn if that's okay, because I know you've been through some hairy moments in your career, like when you were, I think you, I think I read an interview where you mentioned that you were shot at during the LA riots. But um, that's a fairly famous story that's out there about you. I think you were driving a t- Di Tommaso, a Pantera, and <laughs> had to reverse down a, a laneway. Uh, let me clarify. Let me clarify. One night I was driving it backwards because all the forward gears went out. So oh, I drove yeah. through the riots after curfew, through 10,000 fires and the smoke and the riots, backwards. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is that one yeah. of those moments? Oh, anyways, go ahead. Is that one of those moments where you look back and think, what was I thinking? I should have just stayed where I was. Well, my family was staying at the Oakwoods out in, in Marina del Rey, and I was recording at Paramount Studios, and I had to get there every night. And, you know, recording schedules don't go by martial law, so, you know, <laughs> aren't dictated by martial law. So, yeah. I mean, you know, 12 hour lockout, that's what I'm paying for. So I just took my chances, and one night all my gears went out of my car, and I, I had a, a Grolsch beer, a 357 Magnum, and a Del Taco burrito. <laughs> I remember that. I'll never forget that. And well, I will never forget how hard it is to drive a car backwards for extended periods of time. Yeah, it's all backwards, isn't it? Literally backwards. Literally backwards, and yep. with the Pantera, which you can't see out of, so I had to stick my head out the window, which you can only do for limited amounts of time. And then, you know, there'd be like these marauding gangs just looking at me like, what the fuck, that white, crazy white boy with 
mobile home here with a fucking. It was just. It was insane. It was insane. But I made it home, you know. So yeah, it's all good. But good to hear. Good to hear. Is that is that is that the hairiest moment in your career? Have you got an even hairier moment than that? Um. Uh, well, no. I've had quite a few actually, but you know, you probably want to save those for the book. Actually, that was going to be my final question. When's the book coming out? Yeah, well, whenever I get to get out to the desert and just, you know, sit on the porch and yeah. take a year off, I don't yeah. see that happening anytime soon. Are you, uh, are you getting a ghostwriter or are you going to do it all yourself? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, it's, I haven't gone any further than just mentioning it to you. So you uh, it would be a possibility I would do someday. Um, you know, I mean, I definitely, if I ever did something like that, I would not want it to be one of those you know, rock biopic things, you know, that are so to me, superficial and silly and pointless and mm-hmm. self aggrandizing and, Oh, you know, so hard or it was so, we're so great or whatever. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want it to be about, I would, if I wrote something, I'd want it to be something meaning, meaningful that attested to something, uh, that mattered. So, you know, not necessarily just focused on myself, but, you know, tell some stories, of course, and then have the point being, what you know uh and i'm a political animal so that would be the point i i would you know i made a movie uh was involved in making a film called shadow nation okay and um it is about you know the native american um you know experience in in north america but you mm-hmm. know it can really be about indigenous story anywhere in the world it's really the story about humanity and uh what makes people what they are and um, and that's what the book would have to be about. Oh, really? Okay. My take on that. Right, yeah. So it wouldn't so much be a, a biography as it would be the thoughts and opinions of George Lynch. You know, and just talking to you right now, off the top of my head, what I would say is I the way that I would, would build it, hmm. the architecture of the book would maybe be kind of an A, B, like if you're writing a song, the formula was verse, chorus, verse, chorus, it would just be verses and choruses, and the verses would be stories, and, uh, you know, uh, my life, mm-hmm. and the choruses would be the bigger macro view of what I've learned of what my opinions are, or what yeah. the facts are about policies and politics and, and, and human nature. And there's a book that I love that I turn on to people sometimes, and it's, uh, it's laid out like that, and it's um, written by this guy Hofstetter. It's a Pulitzer Prize-winning book called *The Eternal Golden Braid*. Mm-hmm. And uh, the three uh, the, uh, featured components of that book are Godel, Escher, and Bach. So they're a musician, mathematician, and an artist. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating book, and it's hard to describe. But it, uh, one of the features of the book is it, it half the book is staggered between. Uh, uh, this very cerebral, methodical language that's very hard to follow, but fascinating along with story, uh, children's stories, children's parables, these animal uh, subjects, these creatures that sort of tell the parable, mm-hmm. an aardvark, and this animal, and that animal. And it's really fascinating. They're tied together, you know. It's just a fascinating book. And I would build it something like that, maybe. I mean, that's just me thinking off the top of my head while we're speaking, but... You know, it has to be something like that to be to justify 
because I, I don't think you know the world needs another Tommy Lee or Bobby Blosser biopic. Uh, <laughs> I've read both of them. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I, I understand said, what you're dude, saying. And he's like, dude, and like, did you see that chick at the Rainbow? And then we went and got some blow. Yeah. Yeah, that's never been your thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's n- well, no, I did all that too, but that'll be in the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. But you know what I mean. You didn't. Yeah. There was never the Motley Crue, right. the Dirt style stuff with you. And I never got. I mean, could God correct me if I'm wrong? And you kind of have, but um, yeah, I, I never got, never got that dude, impression. I got Motley Crue style stories coming out my ears, <laughs> and uh, they're very entertaining. And I yep. lived through it, and they're you know fun to tell and fun to listen to. So there's that. I bet, I bet. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realise um I didn't realise you're you're a political animal to be honest with you. So you've obviously got strong thoughts and opinions on, on uh the political world around us at the moment and God there's a lot to have an opinion on at the moment. So have you been keeping up to date with this democratic um presidential nomination campaign? Well yeah, of course. I mean, well, you know, unfortunately it's a it's a it's a cluttered field and um hmm. You know, and I think right now the struggle is between the progressive wing of the party and the centrist wing of the party. So you've got yeah, Biden, right. yeah. you know, leading the centrists, and you've got uh, Bernie leading the progressives, and uh, and you've got some incrementalists like Kamala Harris, which listen, anything's better than what we got. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm honestly just so fatigued, and most of the people that I that I surround myself with. Uh, our political animals are equally fatigued and it's just a, it's the, we're living through the American nightmare and we hope it doesn't become a fascist nightmare, but you know, for the moment, you know, hopefully we can undo the damage at some point. It was crazy. I was watching a documentary last night called, um, uh, I actually mentioned this to the last interviewer, um, the black Godfather. Okay. And a story of this guy, Clarence Avers, that's this, monumental figure, very quiet figure, but really pivotal in just about any, any black musician's career, record, uh, film, concert, anything that was done in the last 50 years with, with uh, uh, black music, this guy was instrumental in making it happen or involved in, you know, making deals. And it's just a fascinating and advancing just people's cause. And, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got. I lost no, track of right. what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're just well, talking about causes, and uh, I think you're talking about black musicians. Sorry, if I'm not mistaken, and and the influence that this particular fellow had. Uh, so is it black godfather? We were talking about politics. Yeah, you, you mentioned we a guy. Talking about politics. You mentioned someone called the Black Godfather. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a documentary film that. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I lost my train of thought. No, you're right. I, I, I probably have to... Look, politics, sorry, you know, politics is... Hey, look, politics is like that, you know, and, and I'm sure you're aware you've travelled often enough, but the rest of the world is forced... Oh, oh I know what I was going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologise. Oh, right. So in this film, uh, you know, with Isaac Hayes and, you know, uh, you know anybody, just name anybody, Aretha Franklin, I mean, everybody's in this film, and all the, the, the heavyweights and Mo Austins and all this the CEOs of the labels and all the, you know, the Barry Gordy and so forth, you know, everyone, James Brown. So, uh, Barack Obama is featured in it and, and knew this gentleman very well and, uh, speaks very highly of him and he's talking about him. And I just almost was brought to tears listening. You know, I was not a huge fan of Barack. I mean, I, I mean, I was 
you know, it's too much of a centrist for me. I'm very progressive. Um, but I was really, he was very, it was very frustrating. Some of the things that he did, but listening to him speak so eloquently and intelligently and compassionately, you know, with understanding mm-hmm. compared to what we have now was just terrifying. <laughs> hmm. I mean, we have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical self-aggrandizing complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. I mean, you know, we're all trying to unravel that and figure out how this happened. And here's an, another thing that that's kind of interesting too. Um, because I'm becoming more and more aware of how how pervasive the Trump-based mentality is in this country and how it's always just sort of been there but been quiet. Mm-hmm. And now it's just reared its ugly head in a huge way. I just played Sturgis for a week. Um, we were in uh, Lynch Mob. We played, uh, played six nights, consecutive nights, so we played all week. And um, basically we were stuck in a Trump rally with motorcycles. All right, okay. Yeah, it was, and it was pretty scary. I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. Yeah, you know, it's pretty terrifying. Was this the country I live in? I'm, just, and these people will kill for what they believe. Who were they? Who were you? Progressives are more compassionate people, you know, by nature. We're wired to sort of be more empathetic and care about things outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we care about other people. You know, it hurts us to see people, you know in pain or, or suffer, you know, so they call us snowflakes, but you know, people that are wired on the right, the way their brains are wired, they don't have that sense of empathy. Good. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is. And, you know, these people are the ones that have the guns <laughs> and they're willing to use them. Hmm. And it's becoming pretty frightening. I mean, the prospects of, you know, what Trump is saying and, and doing, uh, and, and his whole administration and dismantling Obama's legacy and dismantling any kind of environmental protections, withdrawing from the Paris Accord, or the, the, the Iran Treaty. I mean, destabilizing the planet and, uh, you know, taking us back into the Stone Age as far as environmental, even the most basic minimum environmental protections in an age when we've got 450 parts per million of carbon in the air, which is not sustainable and is going to destroy life, potentially destroy life on Earth. Mm-hmm. And we've got this buffoon who doesn't know anything as the most powerful person on the planet dictating policy. It's just insane. <laughs> and, you know, the, the earth will be resilient. You know, the earth isn't going to disappear. But, yeah, um, it might be uninhabitable for us, though. That's the only, that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah, so being able to support yeah, life well, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's an all or nothing uh, uh, prospect. I think it's, Somewhere in the middle, but it's going to create a lot of suffering and pain. You know, mass refugees and droughts and and, and, Mm -hmm. and food destabilization and the warfares that it causes, you know, because people are going to be struggling for resources. Mm. Well, because that's all it's about. Well, yourself and Tom Morello could get together and do something, you know, that. I mean, gosh, because your your politics mirror his, I think it's fair to say. And if you guys could, um, you could draw attention to some of these issues by working together. I'm sure you know Tom. You know, and I'm sure he's a fan of your playing. By the way, I mean, how could he not be? Um, he's a big fan of a lot of the uh, the rock and heavy metal guitarists of that era. So, yeah, have you, have you thought about doing something politically, musically? I did, and it's the film that I spoke about earlier called Shadow Nation. And Tom worked with me on that film. He's in the film. Okay, there you go, right there. Okay, well, you you connected. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, yeah. Look, it's... and uh, there's, a, there's 
Fritz Surge from System of a Down was uh, also a contributed. Um, uh, John Trudell, uh, Native American leader, uh, one of the early uh, AIM um, founders of AIM movement, American AIM movement, first on Alcatraz, first led the, the, the long walk to uh, Washington and shut down the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the incident in Oglala and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he's since passed away. We worked on some songs together on the soundtrack, uh, most notably Trail of Tears, which is the song that we co-wrote together. Hmm. Um, I also interviewed Noam Chomsky. Oh, wow. That would have been great. Um, oh, yeah, that was uh, um, my I'm not worthy moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, and on the uh, other side of the spectrum, um, Tom suggests that Tom is friends with Ted Nugent. So that that kind of surprised me. And I and and, and I found that I really respected Tom's ability to see through a person's person you know, policy, uh, uh, ideology, and kind of look at their heart. And and I don't know. I'm not even sure how to read it even to this day. But he loved Ted. They got they were great friends, even though they were on complete opposite ends of the spectrum politically. Mm-hmm. In, in almost a volatile way, you know. <laughs> I was like, how can this be? So I um, I went out to see Ted, and he's actually in the film as well. And I went to his ranch, and uh, well, the crew did, and we went out there for a couple of weeks and and interviewed him. And uh, I I couldn't be as big of a man as Tom. I couldn't get through that. Uh, I couldn't get through that barrier that we had between us, and it was very unproductive, actually, and frustrating experience. Oh, there you go. oh really? There you uh, go. Okay. But but you you know, as much as I as I hate Ted's policies and what he stands for. There is a certain thing about him that you can't help ingratiating yourself towards. He, he has a, you know, he's a character, and he's got a, a thing about him that is fun. You know, I don't know how to describe that, and I feel bad even saying that because I mean, it's terrifying this thing that he stands for. So, um, yeah, but he's in the film as well. Yeah, and in the, uh, there's also a soundtrack uh, associated with it called uh, the band is called Shadow Train. Okay. So there is. Yeah, there's a DVD called Shadow Nation, and there's a, a CD called Shadow Train. Gotcha. Yeah, a, a two CD. Set. Yeah, you got a very Soundtrack. good. Um, you got a good web presence actually with it all. The Shadow Train Movie dot com website that pretty much explains everything. I'm just looking at it now. So that's is that available to stream? Do you know? Is that on Netflix and Prime? You know, I, I don't think it is. You know, it depends on what country you're in. That's just, yeah. You know, there's all these different territories. I know here in the states it's not available to stream. You can order it on Amazon, um, or call George Lynch and have him send you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think that's the only way to get it here in the states. But I don't know in Australia. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But you know, you have your Aboriginal rights issues, and, and all countries do really. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, that's what this film is about. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it, actually. I'm sorry I didn't even know it was out there prior to you mentioning it, but I guess that's, uh, you know, that's just trying to... I mention this a lot, you know, artists like yourself have such valuable projects out there, musical and visual. How do you cut through the bloody noise to be heard above all others? How do you do it? Because I don't think anybody anybody get, who says that they have understand that, I think is a, is a liar, to be honest with you, because it's such a bloody hard one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, business-wise... Uh, dumb of me to do so many projects. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's all, you know, it's just like you said, there's so much out there. 
Um, if you really want to do it right you, and cut through the noise, maybe you just do one record every two years and you really promote it heavily and you make your statement and then you walk away. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I come from a completely different premise in, in you know, these later years where I thought, you know what? I'm not going to even concern myself with the back end of any of this stuff business-wise. I'm just going to do creatively what I want to do. You know, what my mentor did, Hendrix. He didn't think about it. He went in the studio because he loved... He not only loved, he was compelled to create. And, and, and I feel that way. I just, you know, I want, you know, I have something to say musically, I'm going to say it. And I'll let God sort it all out. Agreed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I'd, uh, I'd better let you go. We've been talking for about an hour, and I really appreciate this, by the way. It's, um, it might yeah, no be, problem. Might well, be we, don't get to, we don't get very often to talk, and it's a long ways away, and hoping we can... Um, you know, hopefully get down there one of these days. It's been a way, way too long. I've been down there a couple of times, I think, but probably like 10 years ago or something was the last time I was there. So. Yeah, we'd love to see you down here, mate. I think you know that. Hopefully you get a lot of mail from us over social media, that sort of thing, in whatever way you can get down here, you know, whether it be with KX, actually KXM would be wonderful. Believe me, it would be truly welcome. But anything, mate, that you do, come down here for a um, a clinic that sort of a thing. I just I hope people reach out to you and make those offers. Yeah. There's, there's a few very good touring. I'd, I'd really hope it would be a band situation because the clinics are fine and everything, but you know that's not that's not the whole package. I like to, if I come all if I'm going to come all that way because that's a whole you know it's a 27 hour flight or whatever it is. Mm. I, I'm going to make sure I come down there you know strapped and loaded and ready to put on a show and deliver the whole package. Uh, clinics are sort of underwhelming, you know. What <laughs> <laughs> you saying? Yeah, it's clinical. Yeah, yeah, too clinical. Great. So, uh, but uh, hopefully, so um, you know, hopefully with you know doing enough press and things like we're doing today, we'll, we'll help us uh, get there. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed for sure. Well, uh, you know, congratulations on an outstanding career and doing for doing what you can can keep on doing, mate. Playing music and getting involved. Um, you know, you've got an activism core amongst you. That's great. You know, you, you're championing great causes, good causes that need to have a spotlight put on them. So congratulations on doing all of it, mate. And as we've said, mate, look forward to well, seeing you again. You. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, we'll talk again. Thanks. No worries. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. George Lynch, ladies and gentlemen, the guitar maestro. The quality of the phone line was potato. However... The quality of the conversation was high, so I hope you enjoyed that one there. If you like that chat, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com and if you like listening, maybe you like reading as well because I have written a book, Scars and Guitars Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Click the link and the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. You can download a sample. If you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally. I do have hard copies available now they are very expensive though i wouldn't buy one to be honest with you i would just stick to the e-version because isn't that the way we should be consuming books these days a lot easier a lot more convenient but i know many of you like the hard copy it's a print on demand service so i'm sorry i can't sign it but i do actually have as of what's the date today tuesday the 22nd of november 2022 i do actually have a box of about 20 or so that I printed up from draft to digital and got them sent to me. So if you've listened this far and you want the physical copy, uh, we'll sort out a price if you just send me a message via Facebook Messenger. I'm easily found or hit me up via the email link on the website. 
yeah, I'm easy to get in touch with. Just send me send me a mail and we'll see what we can work out, no matter where you are in the world. So on that note, here's some information about the book. But before we get to that, I want to bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it is a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the the fans and the staying power of the the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction. To George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was. Very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.